The seventh of Daniel reveals that the Holy Ones sojourning under the dominion of the Latino-Babylonian power, or papacy, are to be given over to its power to the end of a time, times, and the dividing of time, or 1260 years. This period is in the current year complete. Their oppressor and destroyer still exists, indeed, but sick unto death, and will continue so till their corporeal resurrection. Now the element of the power that has moved heaven and earth for their destruction is that represented by the eyes and mouth of the little horn that subdues the three horns. The eyes and mouth power is evidently the chief actor against the holy ones, the horn in which they are placed being subordinate to its will. The 1260 years of its prevalence against them must therefore be calculated from the institution of the eyes and mouth as a power of the Babylonian dominion, which institution would be equivalent to the king honouring a god of guardians in his estate or realm, and acknowledging and increasing him with glory, and not from the first appearance of the ten horns, or of the little one that came up after them, and subdued three of them. Now, the acknowledgement of the eyes and mouth as the god of the kingdom of Babylon, or god upon earth, as the Pope is styled, was in the reign of Phocus, who wrote to the Latin bishop in the AD 604, and acknowledged his supremacy over all other ecclesiastics of the realm. This private recognition was followed by an imperial decree in AD 607, and in the year after, as before mentioned, a pillar was erected, commemorative of the event, with the date of AD 608 inscribed upon it. This may have been only the date of the erection of the pillar. Is it not safe, then, to select for the beginning of the period which is to end at the coming of the Ancient of Days, the AD 607? The analogy of the signs of the times favours it. The date of the Phocian decree confirms it. My conviction is that the judgment upon Babylon will be announced as about to sit, and that the Ancient of Days and the Saints will meet in the air and in clouds in the ending of the 1260 years from the epoch AD 606-608. to At the end of this period, then, the saints are delivered. The papacy, with all the power it can stir up, cannot make successful war upon them any more. We must not, however, conclude from this that the Latino-Babylonian confederacy will immediately be dissolved and become powerless. It has power to make war after the resurrection, though not successfully. For it is written of it, power was given to him to practice forty and two months, or twelve hundred and sixty years. These must therefore end at the termination of the months practicing prosperously. Yet the powers will contend for empire till the end of the period indicated in Daniel 12 verse 7, which is marked by the finished concentration of the power of the twelve tribes at the end of the seven times of the kingdom of men. Taking the resurrection, then, 
soon after AD 1868, the beginning of Micah's 40 years will have arrived, in which the mystery of the deity will be finished. Is the Russo-Gogian autocracy broken by the stone power before or after the end of this 40-year period? I should answer, in the course of it. Again, is it broken to pieces before or after the resurrection of the saints? After it, without doubt. For speaking of the destruction of the clay power, that is, of a power that ladeth itself with thick clay, by gathering unto it all nations, and heaping unto it all people, and thus accumulating what does not belong to it, Habakkuk says to its chief, Shall they not rise up that shall bite thee, Pethar, unexpectedly, and awake that shall vex thee? For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh, as the waters cover the sea. Yahweh is in his holy place. Be silent, all the earth before him. This is evidently a prediction of the resurrection of the power that is to destroy the clay dominion. The clay power stands unconsciously waiting for this in the holy land and city. The saints gathered unto Christ in the political air or heaven will be witnesses of its prostration as Israel were of Pharaoh's. All the glory of this will be due to the Ancient of Days, with whom none who are not spirit, but the chosen only, cooperate in the infliction of the first disaster upon the enemy, which is by pestilence, mutual slaughter, hail and thunderbolts from heaven. This cripples and disintegrates, but does not finally destroy the image. It is as a Moscow to Napoleon, which subsequently required repeated blows for the destruction of his power. Christ and the Holy Ones, as clouds and hail, grind the shattered fragments of the Russo-Gogian image to powder. The lion man, the bear and the leopard, or the gold, the silver and the brass, must have their dominion taken away. These are borderers upon the Holy Land, and will demand the immediate attention of the stone and beam out of the timber, who shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrud in the entrances thereof. Thus shall Israel be delivered from the Assyrian, when he cometh into the land, and when he treadeth within their borders. The taking of the saints up into the aerial will be to gather them there for the execution of judgment upon those who are to be the objects of divine indignation, and to make them as the falling artillery of the clouds. For these reasons, and others that might be adduced, it may be concluded that the resurrection will precede the overthrow of the Russian hosts upon the mountains of Israel. But the Holy Ones raised from the dead, and Jerusalem and the Holy Land delivered after the ending of the 1335 years, Yahweh is in his holy place, and for a time all the earth is silent before him, and trembling in expectation of what shall come next. At this crisis he is as an ensign upon the mountains, and the tranquillity of the epoch is dry heat impending lightning, as a cloud of dew in the sultriness of harvest.
It will then be said of Jerusalem, Yahweh is there. The remnant of Judah in the land for the seven months ensuing the fall of Gog on the mountains of Israel will be occupied in burying the dead and cleansing its surface from the slain. The destruction of Pharaoh and his host, which, with the plagues of Egypt, were well known to all that generation, did not cause the nations to confederate and to rush upon Moses and his people to swallow them up, nor did it forty years after deter the seven nations of Canaan from combining to preserve their country from conquest by Israel. It is true that when, in addition to this, they heard that Yahweh dried up the waters of Jordan, and that two Amorite powers east of that river had been exterminated, their hearts melted, neither was their spirit in them any more. Nevertheless, the kings assembled their armies, and contended for five years in numerous battles against Israel. Though melted with fear, they found no chance of escape but in resistance. Extermination was decreed against them. Death without resistance, or with it, was their only alternative. They accepted the latter, and perished, sword in hand, by the armies of Israel. After the same type will it be with the ten toes of the image. The Latin kingdoms of the Babylonian dominion, after the fall of the Tsar and his hosts, the pharaoh of modern times. Micah says, Their ears shall be deaf. Whatever news may greet them from the Holy Land will have no more effect upon the powers than Yahweh's message to Pharaoh. They are to be dashed in pieces as a potter's vessel. Diplomacy or resistance, the result will be the same. They are to become as the chaff of the summer threshing floors. Fair warning, however, will be given that Israel and their friends who, believing in the bursting forth of impending vengeance, may desire to escape it, may separate themselves from those who determine to resist. I will be still, saith Yahweh, yet in my dwelling place I will be without fear. This is subsequently to their overthrow at Bozran, an awful pause between the treading of the Edom and Jehoshaphat winepress, and Yahweh's roaring out of Zion, and uttering his voice from Jerusalem. In the silence of this truce of God, what is the great movement of the time? The question may be answered in the words of Isaiah, that Yahweh having beaten off the enemy from the channel of the river, Euphrates, to the stream of Egypt, the Nile, it shall come to pass that the great trumpet shall then be blown, and the Israelites shall come who were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship Yahweh in the holy mount at Jerusalem. Another prophet says, Adonai Yahweh shall blow the trumpet when he shall be seen over Israel. This is the period referred to in the memorial of blowing of trumpets on the first day of the seventh month under the law. Two trumpets will be blown. By the blowing of the first, the princes, heads of the thousands of Israel, called the Holy Ones, are gathered unto the Lord. And when the second is also blown, all Israel's hosts will begin to assemble 
towards the dwelling place of their king. The trumpet to be blown by the anointed one of Yahweh, styled Adonai Yahweh, is a proclamation to the world, as it is written, I will send my hem of those that escape to the nations, to Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, Moshkai Kesheth, sounders of truth, to Jubal and Javan, the coasts far off that have not heard my name, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. Yahweh gives the word, great is the company of those that publish it. This company is apocalyptically represented as an angel flying in the midst of the Babylonian heaven, and the truth they sound out about the fame and glory of the Lord is styled the good news of the Aeon, Evagilon Ionion, pertaining to the age. It commands the nations to transfer their allegiance to the deity, under penalty of the judgment in case of refusal. Its words are, Fear the deity and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And to Israel scattered in all the kingdom of Babylon, and in its capital especially, the proclamation saith, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. The sounding of this proclamation will cause a general movement among the Jews, who will be allured by it, and prepare to leave the lands of their captivity. I will allure her, saith Yahweh, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak friendly to her heart. As to the Latino-Babylonian powers of Europe, they will be stirred up to war by the proclamation. In the Apocalypse they are styled the beast, the false prophet, and the kings of the earth, of whom it is said, they and their armies gathered together to make war against the Lamb and against his army. When this war actually breaks out, the contest will be between the Jews as the Lord's army, and the armies of the Babylonian kings, and is styled the war of the great day of God Almighty. The period of its continuance is the day during which the judgment sits upon Daniel's fourth beast, and the result of which is the thrones are cast down, and their kingdoms become Yahweh's and his Christ's. When this is consummated, the seven times of the kingdom of men will be fully exhausted. The time allotted to the blowing of the great trumpet will be, I doubt not, several years. There will be much to accomplish among the nations which do not belong to the Latino-Greek Babylonian dominion. Yahweh did not send Israel against the Canaanites till forty years after the fall of Pharaoh. And although it will not be so long as this, I have reason to believe that the war between the Jews and the papal powers will not begin until some time after the smiting of the Russo-Gogian image. How long after is conjectural. The great judgment to be blown announces that the hour of the deity's judgment is come, and in the apostrophe upon the fate of Babylon it is said, In one hour is thy judgment come. Now, 
In that judgment, not only Rome, but the papacy, or false prophet power, the imperial beast that sustains it, and the papal governments and nations are judged. The time, therefore, in judging or executing vengeance upon the one is the period of judgment for them all. At that crisis they will all be confederates in arms against Christ and his armies. For it is written concerning the papal powers, represented by the ten horns, or ten toes of the Russogogian image, they shall receive power as kings one hour with the beast, or little horn with the eyes and mouth. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength to the beast. For the deity hath put in their hearts to fulfil his will, and to agree, and give their kingdom to the beast, until the words of deity shall be fulfilled. These shall make war with the Lamb. Therefore, John says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him and against his army. But the Lamb shall overcome them, for the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, and cast alive into the lake of fire. And the remnant were slain with the sword of the King of kings and Lord of lords that is, by Israel, as shown elsewhere. Now the use of the words hour and one hour in these places is not without precise signification. They are not used vaguely or indefinitely. They are figurative of an exact number of solar years, which number is the twelfth of a time. Bible days are twelve hours long so that an hour is the twelfth part of a daytime. If the time be an eniatos, that which returns upon itself, with another twelfth termed a month, then an hour signifies only thirty days, being diminished by the greater term, as in Revelation 9 verse 15. But if it stand absolutely, that is, with no other sign to qualify it, it signifies thirty years, or the twelfth of a time of three hundred and sixty years. While touching upon this point, I may remark that half an hour is used apocalyptically as significative of years in the saying, there was silence in the heaven about the space of half an hour. That is, between the opening of the seventh seal and the casting fire upon the earth, a period of fourteen years, being about the space, but not quite, half an hour, which is fifteen years. The meaning of the saying is, there was peace among the rulers for fourteen years, or from A.D. 323-2337, as may be seen by reference to Gibbon's decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Thirty years, then, being the duration of an hour in these places, the confederacy of the papal powers will continue thirty years, during which judgment is being executed upon them by the people of the Holy Ones, who torment them with all the calamities of war. These thirty years' war 
are the last years of Micah's forty for the grinding of the shattered elements of the image to powder by the stone, and ending with the annihilation of Babylon at the expiration of its 2,520 years, and beginning, therefore, about A.D. 1878. But besides the 2,400 years, the 70 heptades of 490 years, and the two periods of 1,260 years each, there are other two periods that yet remain to be explained. These are one of 1,290 years, and another of 1,335 years. The former period relates to the desolation of the Holy Land and its desolator, the latter to the resurrection of the Holy Ones, of whom the prophet had the assurance of being one. The 1290 years are noted in the 11th verse of the 12th chapter, which, however, as it stands in the English version, cannot possibly be understood. From this the reader will suppose that the 1290 years shall be calculated from the taking away of the daily, that is, from the suppression of sacrifice when the Roman power destroyed Jerusalem, AD 72. But in that case, that determined should have began to be poured out upon the desolator in AD 1362, which everyone knows was not the fact. The proper rendering of this text is, And after the time the daily shall be removed, even for to set up an abomination making desolate a thousand two hundred and ninety days. The time referred to in this place is the seventy heptades of 490 years. After the lapse of this time, the evening-morning sacrifice, or tamid, should be removed. But how long would it be after the end of this time, ere the daily should be removed? The answer to this question was one of the times and seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Therefore Jesus said, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. This he said to his apostles. But since then the day and hour have passed away, and we know that Judah's tribulation, characterized by the removal of the daily, the casting down of the foundation of its sanctuary and the law, and the destruction of their commonwealth, occurred about A.D. 72. Now the daily was removed for the overspreading of abominations, even to destruction, and that determined should be poured upon the desolator. One of these abominations was to prevail for upwards of twelve hundred years, and to be found in desolating possession of the land at the end of 1290. As everyone knows, this desolator of the Holy Land thus far is the Ottoman power, a time of the end representative of the long-prevailing abomination. The 1290 were to reach to the end when the time came to pour out upon the desolator. It is evident, therefore, they could not begin A.D. 72. The text does not require that they should. 
and the passage last quoted shows that they were to end at the period of pouring out upon the desolator. That is, when the 1290 years should end, the pouring out of that determined upon the Ottoman should begin. It is well known that there has been a notable pouring out of calamities upon this power from AD 1820 to 23 to the present time. But the end is not immediately, for the pouring out period is to continue to the drying up of the power which is marked by the initiation of the restitution of Israel's power. If the Ottoman were demolished in a month, there would still be an outpouring in reserve for the desolator in actual occupation of Jerusalem at the advent of the Ancient of Days. This will be the power constituted of the Greeks and Latins under the autocrat of all the Russias, as before explained. His will be the last regime of the desolating abomination. And when the judgments of the sixth vial, which dry up the Euphratian power, are exhausted, the desolation of Jerusalem and the Holy Land will terminate in the helpless annihilation of their Gentile destroyers, both Muscovite and Turk. Lastly, 45 years after the end of the 1290 years, the period of the Little Horn of the West's prevalence over the Holy Ones is brought to a close. This period, it will be remembered, is 1260 years long. The end of it is designated by that of the 1335 years, which have an epochal beginning in common with the 1290. They commence 75 years before the 1260, being times pertaining to the heirs of the Holy Land, or kings of a son's risings, and therefore part of Judah's times, while the 1260 are a part of the times of the kingdom of Babylon, the period of its prevalence against the Holy Ones and their people, and consequently to be calculated from a different beginning, though ending at the same epochal lapse of AD 1868. Blessed is he that is waiting, and Yagaya shall labour for the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. This is the text in which the 1335 years are noted, and the only place in the Bible where they are to be found. To look and labour for them is to watch for the end of them, and to strive to attain what is to be manifested at their expiration. When they terminate, the resurrection of the dead predicted in Daniel 12 verse 2 will come to pass. For the revelator said to the prophet, Go thou away, aftar laik, till the end. For thou shalt lie down, and tiamod, arise to thine inheritance at the end of the days. The days last mentioned in the context are the 1335, and must therefore be the days referred to. Daniel was to lie down till the end of these days, till which time he was to be at rest, sleeping in the dust of the earth. This is his present condition. Mere dust and ashes of the tomb recently discovered in Persia. But in perhaps only a few months, 
when the 1335 years terminate, he will arise to his inheritance in the kingdom of God, in which he and all the prophets, with many others, shall rejoice together. Luke 13, verse 28. In conclusion, let the reader observe that it is not merely he that desires or looks for the end of the 1335 days who is pronounced blessed. There are many who desire the resurrection of the wise, and, as Balaam, would like to be of the number, but who either give themselves no trouble to attend to it, or are ignorant of the means of attainment, or will only labour for it according to their own suppositions of possibilities. These suppose everything, but prove nothing. The blessedness of the resurrection is a laborious acquisition, a contention for the mastery over ourselves and the world around us. This can only be attained by the taught of God, who understand his doctrine and yield it the faithful and self-sacrificing obedience he requires. Then labour to enter into his rest, for many shall seek to enter in and shall not be able. They will be excluded from the kingdom of God because they have not sought entrance into it in the appointed way. Seek first the kingdom of God, saith the great teacher, and his righteousness. How highly important is this exhortation now, seeing that in a very short time the resurrection will have transpired, and no further invitation to inherit it presented to the world. Ought we not, then, to awake to earnestness, and by a rigid scrutiny of our faith and practice, obtain a scriptural satisfaction, if we shall be able to stand unabashed before the judge of the living and the dead? The glory that shall follow is great for the approved. The world is theirs, when all nations come and do homage before the Prince of Israel, because his judgments are made manifest. But before they can have power over the nations, they must bind the strong that rule them. This is their mission at the end of the 1335 years, to execute vengeance upon the nations and punishment upon the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written, This honour have all his saints. For a period of forty years they will be engaged in this work, and in the organising the world upon new and better principles. When this work is finished, we shall have what is styled the world to come. The kingdoms, empires and republics now existing will be but shadows of the past eclipsing righteousness and truth, blots upon the page of human story. The kingdom of Babylon, among the rest, will have passed through all its phases of iniquity and crime, and at length have disappeared like chaff before the wind, being ground to powder by the kingdom of God, which as a great mountain fills the whole earth. The nations and their rulers will then heartily respond to the exhortation, saying, Make a joyful noise to Yahweh, 
all the earth, make a loud noise, and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto Yahweh with the harp, with the harp and the voice of a psalm. With trumpets and sound of cornets, make a joyful noise before Yahweh the King. Let the sea roar, and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein, let the floods clap their hands, let the hills be joyful together before Yahweh. For he cometh to rule the earth, with righteousness shall he rule the world, and with equity the peoples. Such is the solution of the great Eastern question, which has been providentially formed for the development of the terrible situation of the time of end.